And good afternoon. It is uh, 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and this is Finding a Voice, a spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up on the show today in the first hour from the John B. Lee Signature Series 2019 Spring Launch held in Toronto on May 26th, you'll hear an introduction by Hidden Brook Press publisher Richard M. Grove, opening remarks by John B. Lee and his reading uh, on uh, Don's behalf of Don Donald Goodridge, Goodridge's poems in, the, in his The Star-Brushed Horizon, and then Eva Kolax, uh, reading from her Whatever We Are. In the second hour, continuing with that launch event, you'll actually hear my own reading from uh, the launching of my new book, An Evening Absence Still Waiting for Moon, and uh, then a guest reading by John B. Lee, followed uh, with um, open mic readings by April, April Bulmer, uh, Tom Gannon Hamilton and Lawrence Hutchman. Uh, this first, though, the usually hour, hourly announcement that some <clears throat> occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain uh, strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor uh, the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I won't in the second hour, but I should have a bit of time to share a few upcoming events and calls for submissions possibly at the end of this hour as well so uh we'll let it go at that we'll see how this rolls out so let's go ahead and just go straight into it again from the john b lee signature series 2019 spring launch again held in toronto two weeks ago now yeah may 26th uh you'll hear an introduction by hiddenbrook press publisher richard m grove uh, then opening uh, remarks by John B. Lee on Don's behalf, uh, and also with his reading of Don Donald Goodrich's poems from The Star-Brushed Horizon. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump into it from the start. Here we go. say something about um, that series um, uh, first. John and I, and his wife Kathy, who's down here waiting, she and um, John and um, Kim and I have um, traveled um, quite a bit together, and we've been friends for years, and I have had the privilege of um, publishing um, I don't know, three or four books of John's, and Kathy um, Tuck in his call. And um, so in one of our um, conversations about poetry, I'm um, not sure whether it was John's idea or mine, I'm going to take credit for it, that we uh, maybe should do a John B. Lee signature series, where John is the editor for um, whatever books are published under that banner of the John B. Lee Signature Series. John had published um, 
had been the editor for a few books that I have published um, for Hidden Brook Press um, a few times, but um, never under the official banner. So um, this is the second set of three books that are being published under the John B. Lee Signature Series. As I said, he was the editor for all of the books. And um, we have had to um, turn down um, a number of people, partly because um, I could really only cope with uh, publishing um, three books uh, in the John B. Lee Signature Series at a time. And it's wonderful working with John, working with uh, such a, a wonderful poet. Um, John has a list of awards this long, printed in uh, nine-point font, this long. And it is um, wonderful to um, just be acquainted with this man. Aside from all of the poetry stuff, and he still has a smile on his face, um, he is um, a big-time trooper. John um, not only was the editor for these books, but he carted um, a, um, a truckload of them uh, from the parking lot that was way down there. And um, because this is be being recorded, I didn't want to use the F word, so. Um, far? Far, far, yes. Effing far away through the crowd. So um, let me start with a thank you to John for being the, uh, the trooper, the editor, and the main man behind the John B. Lee Signature Series. Come on up here, John, so I can give you a hug and you can introduce the three books that are um, really wonderful um, contributions to Canadian literature. Um, while I am in thank you mode, my wife who is back and in the back, she's always in the dark taking people's money. Um, so Kim is my right hand man, she's in the back waving right now. And um, so thank you so much for, to Kim for, um, you know, with, without Kim, um, I would be even more frazzled. Uh, John. I won't hear you go. Thank you. Thank you, Ty, and uh, welcome everybody on this uh, beautiful. And uh, Paul Brown is right here setting up his uh, camera. So he's going to be uh, the videographer. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, for doing that, and now that I've interrupted John, he can have the mic back. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and what an honor and privilege it is to be here on this, the last day of winter. Um, and uh, I can tell you a little bit about the three books that are being launched today, and that it's been my honor to uh, participate in bringing these books to your attention. The first book that I'll mention is Eva 
Kolak's book, uh, Whatever We Are. And I think it was actually in this venue where I first spoke with Eva about the possibility of her uh, making a contribution to the series, if I am not mistaken. Um, and uh, so here we are, uh, only six months later, uh, and this harvest that we reap today is a, going to be a reading pleasure for everyone who purchases this book. Lawrence Hutchman, Eva's partner in life, uh, has been a friend of mine since the early 1980s, I think, um, a time before some of you were born, as I'm looking at, at the crowd. Um, and uh, I first got to know Eva in Toronto at a, a poetry reading there where Lawrence and I were competing for the attention of the crowd uh, on, at Harbour Front. And uh, it was a pleasure to meet her and a genuine pleasure to work with her. Uh, she's the kind of poet who knows that uh, change that's gentle and helpful is uh, always uh, presents the possibility of an improvement on our work. Killing our, knowing how to kill our darlings, uh, lines that we love, um, and knowing how to stick to your guns when you don't agree with the editor's suggestion. So uh, she was the best kind of collaborator, and I made uh, a very small contribution to bringing this book, whatever we are, uh, to its uh, birth today. And this is the first time that I've actually seen the book, other than an image of it online. Um, and Bruce Kaufman, uh, I met at a uh, reading in Coburg, I believe it was, and I was impressed with his uh, intelligence. And then he sent me his poetry uh, for consideration, and uh, there again, it was a pleasure to work with him because he knows that uh, my gentle suggestions are easily nudged away, but never given without uh, profound uh, consideration of the possibility that I might just be right. Um, and, uh, but also I accept the fact that I might just be wrong. Uh, Don Gutteridge, the person who is not with us today, but who was with us if you were here the last occasion of a launch of this wonderful series by Hiddenbrook Press, is uh, an octogenarian, and uh, I think it was too much of an ordeal for him to come today as an older man who has now gone on to the next phase of his life. He, he, his grandson is in the house that he, uh, he and his wife lived in for uh, many, many years, and uh, he is in uh, assisted living, and uh, so I can, I, I can think that you might imagine why coming all the way to Toronto and uh, reading it again here today and working, is that what you said, Ken? Or parking. Uh, parking, yes, parking. Uh, but I offered Don, who, is, who was my professor at Western and who was something of a mentor when I was younger and who has had a very long and prestigious career both as a poet and 
as a novelist uh, and who has come back to poetry again at the late, late stage in his life. But when he was a younger man, uh, he actually was nominated and shortlisted for the Governor General's Award for his book, Coppermine. Um, and so uh, he's a considerable talent and a Canadian treasure, one of the poets whose names uh, you should know. And this book, The Star uh, Rushed Horizon, was, is a collection of poems written since the death of his wife. Uh, he woke up one morning and his wife was no longer alive. So some of the poems in this have that uh, wisdom of loss that we feel when we go on after a profound loss in life. Some of the poems harken back to his recollections of childhood. And these are the poems that he's requested that I read. And without further ado, I introduce you to the book, The Star-Brushed Horizon, which is one of the series. Gender. When winter comes with its numbing winds and crackling cold, the swamp below the village freezes tight, the swamp below the village freezes tight, and we on buoyant blades are released from the vice grip of gravity for the seconds it takes us to glide from west to east like Vikings on a silken sea. And if we, emboldened, happen to tumble backwards into someone of the other ilk and inadvertently tease a tender curve, the ice will bear the blame as we all surrender to the pleasing ploys of this gender game. Unredeemed. He's from a place near Sarnia on Lake Huron, so you'll hear a lot of uh, talk about the lake. Unredeemed. Above the hushed silence of Cameron Lake, a menstrual moon brushes the surface with its tidal touch and woods silhouetted with alabaster beaming birch are bereft of bird song except for owls harmonizing the hoot and the ink of shadow within is sucked shoreward to shrink in the luminous wake where loons abruptly rhapsodize and all seems tranquil and true while I stand alone on the edge of everything, fretful and unredeemed. Stippled. Nothing can retrieve the aching days of my youth when I was an unencumbered by doubt when the God I beseech to take my soul each night before I slumbered on safely through the night, routed my sins and follies, and the sun unfurled above first bush every morning and would do so forever. And a summering breeze strummed the leaves of my grandfather's maple with all the zest of a jazz quartet and I trod the rippling streets of my village ablaze with possibilities of soothsaying and stories stippled with truth while Jesus 
pinioned and forsaken would rise again like Lazarus and astonish the world. Buoyancy. Under a pale and translucent moon and a sky scattered with stars in their Grecian arcs, we feel the bite of the ice on our blades and cruise through the hovering dark, glad to be night skating here where the earth has no edges. And when Coops hits a shattering of shale, we laugh at his pinpointed landing and his leverage leap upright and cheer when Marilyn spins like a dulcimer doll and Bonnie and Sharon insist on doing a duo as sisters and Grace and I come to the brink of coy contiguity before breaking asunder and the moon turns as golden as a doting doubloon and we feel as a singular soul the sheer joy of buoyancy. I am so freaking grateful right now that he's writing about winter. <laughs> a world away. When I was young and wild the world away in the midst of my innocence I ambled around the village that bore me up like a propagated poem, unbeguiled by anything other beyond its mothering boundaries, breathing the incense of its easing air as I rambled wherever I pleased over meadows where milkweed pods unfurled to dust the breeze with providential puffs and the wild mustard flamed as golden as the lustrous sun ripening, the snows that hung from the trees like the appetizing apples of Eden, and even the thunder was muffled there, and the rains renewed, the grasses bedizzening, and all roads ferried to me home, where love bloomed so flagrantly, no god could surrender it. Deke. Sarnia City Champions, 1933-1934. Don himself was not athletic, but his father was athletic enough that in a different generation, in a different age, without the coming of war, he may well have been uh, talented enough to make the NHL of the day. Deke. I sit in my solitary study and notice an 80-year-old plaque once held in my father's hands, and I see him skating, as sweet as a swan on the magic mirror of a pond, his deeks and yaws as smooth as new ice on raw rink. He has the boy's knack, but the puck wit of a pro, and I can hear the applause of the hometown fans who made this slim kid their hero. And what joy it must have been to feel. Every breath in your body turned to the grace of the game. And no hint then of the grim days behind, ahead, when he was no longer slim and done in by drink and couldn't out-deek death. Season. We were all at ease with the autumn. 
when everything green in McPherson's orchard turn as rosy as a bride's blush. And we bit into the fruit and let the erotic juices glide chinward and dreamed of apple cider and the acrid edge of its aroma. And in the swamp that hugged the point, bulrushes and cattails flourishing, furred and dappled in their dying. And the maples in our yard reddened before their fiery fall. And all the road to our country school, the ditches were rich with goldenrod and the summoned sunlight and the mist-teased fields festooned with air with the florid fleece of wild carrot and dilatory daisies and later on the pungence of moon-rounded pumpkins split wide and oozing pulp and winter wheat whisking furrows like peach fuzz on the chin of those seeking to leave behind the tug of childhood. Being young, we cared not for autumn that was or the bottom. At bottom, the season of root rot and dank decay for ours was a world where hope would have its say. At ease. When I was young and free and at ease with the world, every morning was a superb surprise as the sun uprose above first bush, inking with Apollonian light, igniting the trees, elder than Eden and shimmering shade where robins throbbed with song, and Huron Lake was wave-wakened and generous enough to swallow heaven whole. And grandfather's yard laddered with lilacs opened to my impatient eye and welcomed me into its paradisal precinct, for there were no adders slithering silkily through my garden in search of eaves and apples that hung like pendulous prizes, for I was young and the world had yet to be unfurled, and hence was I pleased to harbor it hither to and fro in my incorruptible innocence. And finally, only, or I should say lastly, not finally, lastly, only on the mile-long trek to our country school, boys and girls in a straggling gaggle, we passed Leckie's pasture and cast our eyes on the young colt there his wrong coat surprised by a morning sun set on the horizon ahead like a gilded marigold and below the colt's belly hung a bright red erection throbbing like a bruised thumb as the girls went numb with shock looking in every direction but lucky word and we boys locked our gaze on the proud protuberance and considered something other than romance and moons and the star-startled nights and furious fusion of that amazing instrument with another receptacle we couldn't quite fathom as the girls giggled and Coop broke the spell. That's only his pecker. <laughs> and he smiled. <laughs> Thank you for your And you just heard from the John B. Lee Signature Series in the, the 2019 Spring Launch held in Toronto on May 26th. And first, an introduction by Hiddenbrook Press publisher Richard M. Grove. 
Uh, then opening remarks by John B. Lee and on Don's behalf, his reading of Donald, uh, Don Gooderidge's poems from his uh, new book, The Star-Brushed Horizon. Up next in it, uh, from, again, that same event, uh, you'll hear the next reading, and it was Eva Kolek's uh, reading from her new book called, her debut, I believe, as well, uh, collection, Whatever We Are. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio... All right, I need to do this first. couple of these, and then we'll be right back with that. Friday. Oh, let's see here. Let's see if I can backtrack a little bit. Sorry about this. Let's try this again. Well, it's not going to let me do that. I'll tell you what. I'm just going to do those later. So... Uh, I don't know. Let's try this. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, you're, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, but a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM, located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. Sorry about that slight glitch there. I saw them just pop in just as I was getting ready to do something. So uh, now it's all taken care of. So anyway, let's go ahead and go back into the John B. Lee Signature Series 2019 Spring Lodge. Again, that was held in Toronto on May 26th. And uh, who you, uh, what you're going to hear next um, followed that afternoon. And it's Eva Kolex uh, reading from her Whatever We Are. I think that the order that we're going in uh, it means that uh, Eva, please come forward uh, if you would be willing and... Uh, we will hear from Eva. Okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me well? No? Lower? Like that? First 
of all, I'd like to thank all of you for coming, and especially my family and friends. And this is a truly special moment for me, because uh, I was writing poetry from the beginning I could write. And then in Canada, because I immigrated from Poland without knowing English, I decided, like my mother, to be painter, to be painter. So my book on the cover, you see my painting, which is now, I can say with pride, is one of the collection of the major museums of Poland, the city I was born, Legnitz. So I like to John Lee, who believed in me. <laughs> and very much I like to thank Ty, who did this book with such a speed, and to knowledge mind and he did wonderful design and I'm very grateful to both of you, John and I. I'm going to read from all poems are published, which I'm going to read, are published in this book. I'm starting with the poem Solving Algebra Equations. Carry on, then, if only for a moment, that it takes a tiny galaxy to bring. Wisława Szymborska. I prefer not to comfort the moonless night gazing at me with my own mortality, consciously. Rather to ignore her pretentious smile, which tries to win me over by changing my way of thinking, and remind myself that this night and I share nothing except morning. Morning, morning, let me sing foolishly to see how it gives voice to a new day. This night and I shall nothing except the need to pursue goals of the ego, forgetting that everything is endless repetition, the already known. And life, please, don't make us hungry for the self-involved importance. Unless solving algebra equations is your thing. Rain in the room with mountain for my grandson Jasper. A few drops of rain were tucking the window and in the minute they were gone. There's seldom rain in this town and you cannot hear the river anymore. Now the mountain bowed in sunset 
explodes with a firestorm, breaking the walls and fences into pieces. The air becomes smoky glass burning, chained to window frame. In despite of this, the evening brought rain. Water penetrates the air, then soil and returns to the clouds as the life circle no one can reach. I'm lying down inside of the rain, my gown green grass, a meadow, a sky, a brook, spiraling water around rocks of time. This delight of spirit and flesh, impermanent, soon an illusion, which lives only for a moment, evaporates. I came to Canada <coughs> as a refugee. I, there's explanation probably in my bio. I don't want to go for it right now. And, but when I came, Canada welcomed me. And these memories I have, sometimes I come in the dreams, sometimes, you know, bothering me. But I treat them as a part of my growing. I'm not crying, but sometimes I like them to go away. Disconnecting the link. Perhaps I could forget imprinted scenes, the mercy of Libyan desert night at the checkpoint, when with no proper documents we were questioned by teenage boys armed with Kalashnikovs and let them go. Or the shock relief at the entrance to come to seek refuge and to find myself in the middle of action resembling a moving with bullets crossing the air, the shout of carabinieri looking for a man who shot an Albanian. Or maybe my desperate jump through the street level window of the camp building to save a puppy hanging from the trees. To learn that life no longer had songs for him, only blurred eyes with the intoxication of a luminous sky. Next poem is about refuge, about both people. I was struck by some images, and I it's very difficult to write about this. But this woman were coming and coming in my dreams, so I decided to write. Refuge. Unable to imagine a future, imagine a future better than now. Sharon Tessen, Praxis. The clouds are blind and confused in the renewed shape of mist, with no ending or beginning, sinking in our skin, drifting, the overcrowded boat moves like a wounded bird. I'm here, and not here at all. Was it my choice to exist? And hanging on a dreamy day, trying hard not to look at the black flash sunset, 
flowing into and out of memories swallowed by smoke of the burning city we left behind. When dust from the rubble is eating the air, you don't hear your own cry, judging not, I can withdraw hope from my life. At night, spikes of hard waves come to leave the boat and spin it around like a carousel in the slow motion. I can't find my words anymore. They spinning toward the surface of the sea, covered with bubble air of my breath. All I can hear now is the whisper of water taking me slowly in. Apocalypse. It started as a thought, without affection. As we walked into an old darkness of the night, with blazing moon naked like a light bulb, some people call him beggar. He swears he's not, never ask for money. How we are born, we die, with breath soft as blossoms that carry us into the reeds of water sky. We sink deeper there to separate soul from the body left in the room called the world. Howling and cursing. Time would go on and on, turning cities into dust, sun to stone. Let me think of a sweet song. See the dancer in me. In the garden, I will never outgrow. Why do we need this constant source of all, championed by the new technology to feel alive? The skin growing over our skin is thickening, leathery, like you say, that is a protective skin. You say, and I will ask you, why do you need to wear this elegant skin that resembles stone walls? Touch me, fruitful water, run me through, turn me upside down, so I will stand again on my feet. Now I will read poem which will be in future book with collaboration of my husband, Lauren Suchman. And this is the book, it's about, it's containing our love poems, and it will be called Fire and Water. So this poem is in my book too. Lizard Song for Lawrence. I can hear the lizard song, although sitting on its tongue. Between him and the garden wall, white flowers fall from the tree, and the sun is walking like a god. It must be a fine song in play. He knows the lyric well and has mastered the melody for sure. His song is now stretching up, swinging in the trapeze act like an acrobat swaying high above the street to charm my window, to open it and break up the stillness. 
take me out of siesta and inject me with the trill bearing its own way down inside my body, waiting. The last two poems I will read, I'm a professional painter and many people will ask me why I write poetry now. As I said, I started 20, 40 years ago and I, I was writing in Polish. So uh, I decided 10 years ago to actually switch to English. And <clears throat> this is the poem about me uh, painting. It was the process of painting, how I understand and how I feel it. I will title is Romancing the Painting. Art does not reproduce the visible, please said, rather it makes visible. It's only when we open ourselves to exercise wonder, the painting emerges from canvas like a wooden tower of treasure we have never known, the architecture of magic reaching for us with an open hand, or as a field of blooming colors born through the scorch leaves of imagination at the poet's expense. I cross this land many times. I float in space, roll over the touch of the sky, blue drops of rain, and I walk through the colors with ultimate purpose to turn them into forms filled with light. And I taste the painting like a music, the visionary kind with virtue, luminous, and life. When confronted, with the shapeless earth. The last poem is Walking Among the Birds. As each thing says its secret name, it makes a wilderness, wilderness, a mind. Don Mackay. The air drums a discordant sound, boom, boom. The night fades away, boom, 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 as we flow into the immortal song of the lake. We used to sing in the early daylight. If you could only see me walking the pathway among the birds in the exuberance of fields. Now this pathway grows at my feet as a road to nowhere. Like a whisper for the soul, the dreams still carry us, lost travelers, over the crossing from night to day. Here, the rocks chant. They walk slowly across the land, wrapped in green, their mirrored images rise in water to mingle with the lake. All elements of nature for a moment equal. Thank you. And uh, from, again, 
uh, the John B. Lee Signature Series 2019 Spring Launch, again held in Toronto on May 26th. Uh, you just heard a reading by Eva Colax. And uh, up next, uh, those are both in the first round. And as we uh, finished up, the well, I should say the, not the first round, the first half of that uh, book launch, uh, there were a few words uh, that uh, Richard, uh, publisher Richard Grove, had to say about both uh, the launch and uh, also John B. Lee. So let's listen to that, and I will be back after that. One last applause for Eva and, um, and for John and John Gutters. Um, we are about to take a break, but while I have you captured... Um, I wanted to um, introduce you to two John B. Lee books that are at the uh, back table. Um, this um, doorstop um, of a book, 475 pages worth. Um, John, John, you used to call it a, um, a what smacker? A budgie killer. It's a, a budgie killer. Um, this is How We See the World. Um, Hindenburg Press has had uh, a wonderful um, opportunity to um, publish John's work. Um, wonderful picture of him on the back of the book. It's a picture of the back of his head. And um, uh, that, uh, that I took, I couldn't, couldn't get a front view of him. And, um, and this is my uh, picture on the front of the book. But um, everything that is in between is the budgie killer and is, um, is $20 today. Uh, so, buy the book. Um, George Elliott Clark and John B. Lee um, collaborated on this um, collection of um, they, These Are the Words. It was wonderful working with uh, both of them. Um, of course, the wonderful thing about the internet is that, you know, you are hundreds of miles away from everybody. And um, I think that I had met um, uh, George at a poetry reading in passing. We knew enough to say wave and say hello, but we did a, a book launch of this in uh, Port Dover. Oh my goodness, how long ago was that now? Let me look on the inside of the book because that'll tell us in um, uh, 2018. So that's not that long ago, but it must have been early. Um, wonderful, wonderful book. So um, it's not a budgie killer, but it's um, it's worth buying. And we have in our midst a um, uh, another wonderful poet, April Bulmer. Where she sees, oh, she's hiding under the light, uh, waving over there. The, um, her book, um, Out of the Dark, um, comma, Light, is a part of the first John B. Lee Signature Series books. So it is on the table, but Hindenburg Press had the privilege of publishing her book before the John B. Lee Signature Series started. And uh, and with thy spirit, so she's got this book is um, is dirt cheap. It's five bucks. If you don't go away with all of them that are on the table, then you're crazy. Um, 
one, one of the things that um, I think is wonderful uh, about being a publisher, I love overhearing um, um, authors say, oh yes, oh, that, he's, he's my publisher. He's, he's my publisher. It kind of lifts the ego. Um, but along with that, it means that I get to align myself with a lot of brilliant people, and um, I, John is going to go away with a, an inflated head because um, John is one of the people that I have um, been aligned with for a long time, and this book is um, on the table, and it is a book of my poetry and John's poetry, or the other way around, John's poetry and my poetry. And um, uh, my poetry in here is by far the best uh, over John's. But um, um, so you can grab that, um, that book over there. This book, I have, I have some free copies of this book. This book is, um, is a novel, a novel of mine. It is titled Some Sort of Normal. And um, if anybody's interested in reading it and writing a review about it, then I'll give you a free copy. It doesn't have to be a long dissertation review. Just something that says, oh, great book, Ty. Um, but, but I have to warn you that it, it's shall I say, a heavy topic. So um, if you get a quarter of the way through it and you go, oh my gosh, give me John B. Lee's budgie killer, um, then I won't be offended. But if you would like a free copy of that, then, um, then you're welcome to it. And Kim earns her title of right-hand uh, man all the time because she wrote me a note. Mention John B. Lee, John, oh, Lee, John B. Lee, um, and he was uh, recently given an award for Lifetime Achievement Award for Norfolk County. And uh, congratulations, John, on your lifetime of uh, contribution to the literary world. Without you, the, uh, the lights would be dimmer. So uh, thanks very much. Don't forget to um, get your drink. We're going to have a uh, 10 or 15 minute break. And it's amazing how um, um, a, a cool drink and uh, some poetry has just calmed me down. So, um, so enjoy your break, and we'll be back soon. And you just heard uh, Richard uh, Grove, publisher of Hiddenbrook Press, and his final words uh, just at the end of the first half of the John B. Lee Signature Series 2019 Spring Launch, again held in Toronto on May 26th. Let's do this. I'll be right back. The Kingston Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group, while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. 
For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org, email info at 99york.org, or call 613-542-1136. Every Monday night, you can learn a little more about classical music and what it's doing today. Listen to Counterpoint, hosted by myself, Selena Cirelli, here on CFRC 101.9, Monday nights at 7. Just a few minutes uh, to share a few upcoming events uh, before the top of the hour. Uh, the first hour now very close to ending. Uh, just want to thank you for t- having tuned in to the first hour today. Hope you can stay tuned for the second. And you have been and will be listening to uh, Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are, again, located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. One thing I try to mention at the end of each hour is that uh, both hours of the day's show each week are saved to my blog space for it uh, shortly after I get home and will remain there for four years at Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. Let's go ahead and drag my list of events over here that are coming up, and we'll get through a few minutes of them anyway. Uh, There are a number of things happening over the course of the summer here. I don't know how far we'll get this afternoon, but at least want to get through the upcoming week. So I will mention there is, a, except for the month of August, uh, there is a weekly writing group uh, here in Kingston called Limestone Writers. Uh, They meet every Wednesday evening. Again, except for those in August. So, and normally during the rest of the year at 7 p.m., but in the summertime, uh, from, uh, or I should say from May through July, uh, they meet at 6 p.m. I think it has a lot to do with the hours that uh, uh, they have. Uh, Stuffer Library is open. So, uh, 6 p.m., um, May through July, in room 239 of the Stuffer Library to critique and support one another's writing. Uh, they uh, cover nearly every genre. Uh, fiction, poetry, nonfiction, and memoir are all represented. So, again, they meet uh, at 6 p.m. at in room 239 of Stoffer Library every Wednesday evening. Again, called Limestone Writers, a writing group. And if you're interested, contact Dave Pratt, and uh, you can catch him at this ad- email address, dpratt.com. 1939 at hotmail.com. 
coming up tomorrow. It's part of the Kingston Front Neck Public Library uh, live series, and uh, they have speakers at least once, sometimes twice a month, I believe. Uh, tomorrow they will have uh, Erica Barish uh, Alkes. Uh, I think I said that last name right. Uh, she uh, has written extensively and is passionate about uh, uh, Sir John Franklin and his uh, 1845 expedition to search for the Northwest Passage when he failed to return. So this book is more about his wife, and I believe that's what this talk will be, his wife Jane, uh, she uh, upon a campaign to rescue him. So this is writing about uh, the, the title of the event is writing about Lady Franklin and the Lost Franklin Expedition. That is happening tomorrow, Saturday, June 8th at 2 p.m. at uh, the Isabel Turner branch of the Kingston Front Neck Public Library. So that's the one out by the Cataraqui Center. But the address is 239 Gardeners Road, Kingston. Uh, it's an open event to adults and teens. Seating is limited, so they suggest you register in advance uh, by calling uh, 613-549-8888, or uh, you can catch them. Let's see. You, I must be a way to register in advance. Here's their website, www.kfpl.ca. And uh, then on uh, a week from Saturday, so this uh, those a light week for Kingston. Actually, usually there are at least a half a dozen events, but a week from tomorrow, on June fifteenth, from one to two thirty p.m. at the Modern Fuel uh, Artist Residence Center. Uh, you in Suite uh, 305. Uh, it's called a reading. It's a new reading salon series that they've started, uh, featuring a selection of short texts recommended by artists at Modern Fuel Artist-run centers. Current exhibition, sometimes staff. Uh, this reading salon in the series will offer readings recommended by Joan Scaglioni, uh, and uh, in context of her exhibition there called Squall. Uh, it will be moderated by Henry Heng Lu, who is the artistic director of Modern Fuel. Again, that is a week from tomorrow, June 15th, from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Uh, the following day, Sunday, June 16th, uh, from 1 to 4 p.m., uh, Sue Lyons uh, will be in, author Sue Lyons, uh, and Sue Lyons. Sue Williams, I'm so sorry. Uh, you can meet Sue Williams as she signs copies of her compelling memoir called Ready to Come About. Uh, and uh, for more details, you can check out her website. Uh, I'm guessing www. Uh, lots of ways to live a life.net, it looks like. So just type that in, it should take you right there. Again, that's coming up Novel Idea Bookstore. It's a book signing event, uh, so she'll be on hand from 1 to 4 p.m. on Sunday, June 16th. And uh, I won't have time to mention it, but it's still over two and well, about two and a half weeks away. But the Skeleton Park Arts Festival will begin on uh, June 9th, Wednesday, June 19th. I don't think I'll have time in the second hour to talk about it. If I will, I have time, I will, but otherwise we'll definitely be talking about it a bit more in length next week because there is a lot of, there are a lot of things going on. 
What I do need to do is sneak this in here right now, and then I'll be right back after the top of the hour. Are you an Emerging Kingston musician? Did you know that the Isabel Bader Center for the Performing Arts is seeking emerging music legends to participate in the inaugural 2019 YGK Emerging Musician Competition? Local musicians, bands, and ensembles across genres can submit an original work for an opportunity to compete for a $7,500 prize package including audio and video recording, professional photography and media kits, a showcase performance at the Isabel, and so much more. Local emergent musicians should submit their application online by June 17th at 5 p.m. Application and competition details can be found at queensu.ca forward slash the Isabel. And it is just a few seconds after 5 o'clock. You uh, are listening to, again, Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock, we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. In the second hour, continuing with that spring launch uh, of the latest John B. Lee Signature Series books. Uh, and uh, the first uh, original launch, and it aired here actually uh, back in late October, was something like maybe a similar date, uh, October maybe 26th. But anyway, it was in October, and that was the debut launch of the series. So this is the second. And. Uh, in it, you'll hear uh, my own reading uh, as I launched my new book called An Evening Absence, Still Waiting for Moon. Uh, then you're going to hear a guest reading by John B. Lee himself. And that it was followed uh, with, an open mic, with open mic readings by April Bulmer, uh, Tom Gannon-Hamilton, and Lawrence Hutchman. This, though, first, uh, as always, the usual hourly announcement, I guess. Occasionally, some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I will mention that it's quite doubtful, uh, but if I do have a bit of time for events uh, at the end of this hour, I will share a few of them with you. And, or maybe a call for submissions, but uh, highly unlikely. So up first, let's just jump back into it. Again, from the spring 2019 launch of the latest John B. Lee signature books in that series, uh, here is um, my reading of my new book of poetry, again called An Evening Absence Still Waiting for Moon. Welcome if you have just arrived, and uh, thank you for sticking around for the second half. We are going to be doing an open mic. I know that um, I twisted the arm of uh, April. She is going to be um, um, reading for the open mic after our second break. If you would like to, um, to read, uh, Lawrence, where is Lawrence? Are you going to be reading... Um, um, some of your poetry. Um, oh, Lawrence escaped. Oh, he's buying the beer. Yes. Um, that's right. Well, Eva, you can uh, twist um, Lawrence's arm to to read. He has a brand new book out. 
um, he'll tell you about it. I'll twist his arm to come up. Right now, we are going to have Bruce Kaufman come up. What a wonderful book this is. An Evening Absence, Still Waiting for Moon. The title is a poem in itself, Bruce. Wonderful. Come on up, come on up here. Bruce is here all the way from Kingston. It must be cold in Kingston because Bruce still has his jacket on. And um, how is this our um, third or fourth or fifth book together? Fourth book. Fourth, fourth book. Um, I have known uh, Bruce for um, quite some time. I won't even talk about decades, but um, um, it's wonderful to work with Bruce and to have his work accepted for the John B. Signature Series was um, hardly surprising because of the uh, high quality of his work. I'm going to say no more, and I'll leave you in the hands of Bruce. Thank you, Ty. I'd also like to give my heartfelt thanks to both Ty for publishing and John B. Lee for finding merit in my work and for his incredible editing advice. I'd also like to thank everybody that came here today to support poetry and poets. So, on a beautiful spring day, that's wonderful. These are all in the book as well, but I have an issue in Inside Light reading print in a book, so I opted for larger types. So. This is called Early Morning. Early morning, the day already growing into itself. Each second now rolling into and then slipping away. We are already history becoming in this endless cosmic breath. Pulse. It is not that staccato heartbeat within as much as it is that steady symphonic metered rhythm of heartbeats shared between. And this is the only poem I think I'll give a preface for. Uh, W.S. Merwin was my all-time favorite poet. Uh, passed away two months ago. And, uh, but uh, I uh, mentioned, and it is mentioned, I mentioned uh, a poem in here, and this is sort of a spin-off on one of the lines in that poem. That poem is called Touching the Trees. And the title of this is Hollow Tree. There is but one tree in the park with a semi-hollowed-out bottom at the base of its trunk. Will this tree fall not to the weight of seasons and wind, but instead behind the fear-driven henchman with his snarling song? In the end, it's fate, it's destiny. I do not know, do not want to consider. 
But today only in this misty rain of a cold winter late afternoon, that hole in the trunk, a funnel in time, echoing W.S. Mills touching the tree, and in it becoming for me or any other small child, a cave, a cave before the lion comes. It's called rising tides. A rising tide simply foreplay between bodies of water and the gravity of the world. Insulation. How to insulate myself from the noise of the day, from the echoing shouts of history. How to distance myself from the pompousness of logic, the world never becoming deaf to that noise. Two men sit beside me in their too loud, too long, too proud conversations between the pages of their newspapers newspapers, only telling them what happened yesterday, while a new morning away from this is spinning outside, already weaving itself into still color and fullness of what it is becoming. It has lost them. They are lost to it. Tomorrow evening, with again their papers in hand, they will read about a short remnant of a single small thread of the full blanket of this day. And they will look up from the newspapers. And they will talk about it loudly and long. And will tell themselves that they know while a new day outside is weaving its new threads into a curtain to protect itself from them. Languages. Dead winter in a large open room, a fireplace sets empty, cold. A heart in another room, another house, another place sits the same. What is the language of fire? Near the end. Near the end I will remember none of this, and in that time will ask forgiveness for the forgetting, even then not knowing what was lost. But in the enveloping darkness and its wave of infinite silence, realizing, realizing that surely something was. When asked on your road to silence, when asked to write about a glass bowl of fruit on a table, write instead about a soil and a sky, moisture and root, about mica and heat and form, about diminishing forest, fallen and severed tree, when commanded, alternately then, to write about simply an idea of a glass of bowl, 
a glass bowl of fruit on a table, write instead about ambivalence, about self-serving manifestation, eco-ignorance, and fragmented truth. When demanded then after to write about the theory of a glass bowl of fruit on a table, write instead about passive and silent observation, about the unfathomable distance between sight or sound and pen or thought or heart, about the endless soft and image-laden utterings in the fullness of silence, and then about the faltering and failing life of word and the ever and ultimate simplicity and audaciousness of language. Unlearning. How many days or weeks or years, decades even, does it take for us to learn a single thing? A lifetime, perhaps. And that then carried out the last door as we leave. And in that echo and dust ricocheting and settling after behind comes then the new life the ever-next generations arriving in their newer flesh, and they at birth, listening to and then softly whispering back the first few words of an echo heard. And I just had two poems left. Again, thank you for supporting poetry. It's called Gardens. Again this morning, that faint sound you always hear in this place. Elevated just slightly to your right, you'll notice again that same small, well-tilled garden you see each day on your walk past. You will believe you know it well, and you do. The same rows of tulips, the intermittent batches of daisies, chrysanthemums, small ferns and other bushes for which you have no name. The occasional small bunny you've seen quite often but still never enough. Squirrels, the chipmunks, the bees hovering above and that same faint as if musical but haunting sound you always hear as you pass. A sound you need we cannot describe, and this the only place you've ever heard it, ever hear it still. In that garden behind, that sound willows from behind and below, and there at the edge of that small and hidden garden, a simple mother robin stands and watches silent as beside her on the ground her dead fledgling sings. Thank you.
And you just heard my own reading from uh, my new collection of poetry called An Evening Absence Still Waiting for Moon. And uh, that was the first reading of the second half of the spring uh, 2019 launch uh, in the latest uh, uh, launch of John B. Lee's signature series books. Up next in it, uh, a guest reading by John B. Lee himself. Here we go. Thank you so much, Bruce. Now, Mr. Lee, does anybody need to be introduced to Mr. Lee again? I have been um, uh, beating his drum many times, and he deserves every moment. John B. Lee, come up and read us some of your uh, poems from your budgie whacker. I'm, I'm not sure how many people are reading. Still? Okay. Just one. Just one. Okay, oh, so. Well, we, we do have an open mic after, so. And an open mic. So, just in terms of microphone technique, if everybody is on the mic, it's going to be a lot louder. So, often during book launches and that, we have a lot of people that aren't experienced at working on the mic. And if it rings, we can turn down the gain a bit on that channel. But um, a lot of times with uh, book launches and readers, we, we have people standing back here or off to the side. And, but with a mic, a dynamic mic like this, like you really have to be up close. And that's ringing a bit, so maybe I'll just bring down the game. But if you're close on the mic, it should be pretty good. Very first feedback ever recorded. Uh, I feel fine by the Beatles. John Lennon leaned his guitar up against the. Uh, there was a B. He, he had a B flat, and he leaned his guitar up against the uh, speaker. What kind of guitar was it? Uh, I think it was a Gibson uh, acoustic, actually. Um, and he leaned it up against the. It was amplified, obviously, uh, but it was an acoustic. And he leaned it up against the the uh, uh, speaker, and it got that lovely feedback, which predated Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix by at least a couple of years. And uh, he said to George Martin. Did you get that? Did you get that? And they ever after, when they performed, that was one of the few songs with feedback that they performed on stage because they performed for about another year. And uh, you'll hear sometimes, if you hear live recordings of them, they sometimes got it and they sometimes didn't because it was a difficult thing to repeat on stage, that idea of feedback. So there you go. Here endeth the first lesson. <laughs> Thank you very much. I always like to read a new poem when I uh, come to a reading. And uh, the older I get, the more I love the world and just observing the world. And I live on the lake. And unlike other environments, the lake really reveals its changes. So one day the lake was roiling and the next day it was shivering. And uh, this poem started with that and ended somewhere completely differently because I was sitting at a window looking out at a, at a crab apple tree full of blossoms. Anyway, here's the poem. It's new, it's a couple days old. The Bee in the Blossoming Crab. 
Yesterday's lake, not the same as today's, with the surface a blue shiver of light in the shimmering bay, a calm agitation of an offshore breeze on Thursday last and lasting afternoon, the break wall roared in the high dudgeon of angry water where the stones of the pier rose and fell to be seen and unseen like the drowned spine of a great primordial beast, a breathless leviathan shale lashing its dying tail in the coming in and going away of gray waves, a wet line of foam slapping the earth with an all-gathering indignation of a worry enraged, a goddess of ire in angry discord with hard-edged heights, longing to climb the dampening crags of broken clay, the cross crests and cross troughs roiling to double their worth and dulling the sun to a valueless brown like lapse in time rusting of metal. All sound, the shunting of trains and the crashing of glass come to whispering, and against and I'm the same man soaked to the soul like sweat in old felt when the mutable life of the world might still amaze the mind with a bee in a blossoming crab um, this poem is for Eva and Lawrence the three of us lost our mothers in the same year my book, uh, Blue, uh, the, uh, about uh, moths who drink the tears of sleeping birds is the title of the book. And this is the season of the death of mothers. We had a conversation, I believe here, when I talked about Eva's book, about the death of Eva's mother and the death of my mother and the death of Lawrence's mother all in the same year. And um, it really strikes home when the beloved generation of people that bore us and raised us, that we thought and hoped would be with us forever, are gone. The season of the death of mothers. This winter past, we three suffered the passing into darkness of maternal love. One born in Poland, daughter. Two born in Canada, sons. All three private losses felt like snow upon the stone and gone gray grasses of, an of our individual homes. And we who hold the ashes of a burning heart, we who keep with lonesome mourning of the loving dust, knowing then and there as with the heaviness of watered sand and earth that clings upon the hip-shaped plow that lifts its share to turn the land beyond the fences where the mind has work to do and works undone like bodies laboring in dream where sorrow wakes the evening with a melancholy wolf. One song to honor moonlight, one song to heal the silence of the dark. Now, page one. Paragraph one, I am born. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> uh, one paragraph from uh, an essay that opens this book. Um, 
I was born and raised on a farm in the heart of who do you think you are, southwestern Ontario. When I studied French, the first phrase I mastered was, je suis désolé. When I took Spanish, lo siento. And like every truly Canadian child in my region, I was trained in the art of apology. And in my case, by a loving mother who encouraged me to hide my light under a bushel, inquiring of me, why do you use the word I so often? As though my ego weren't always in need of a good dressing down, mother mine, je suis désolé, lo siento, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. I was born to shine. And now one poem from uh, my trek to the Arctic. I chose this poem because my friend Walter Soroka, who was a mentor to my son and who led our, uh, the four of us that went trekking across the Arctic Circle, Shanks's mare, and uh, doing so and camping in the Arctic for two weeks. I too can show the way for Walter Soroka who just passed away this week. Where would you lead me, friend? Into what future and from what past and by what light guide and for what purpose go and to what end and with, with what faith? For if I follow where the hills are hard and if I cross cruel rivers on the way stepping stone by stone between the foams and froths that break the water's voice, and if I look to see who comes behind by my example, then we share a path and breathe to climb and step against the slope to see the valley's hard green ease beyond a blind horizon's call. And if you named the dangers one by one and sent those glories free before, how then to temper knowing if I do not touch the stones the rivers touch, then how to look upon the map and say, see there, we went together. I too can show the way. And this is something of, a, of a, an admission that I've had a lucky life and I've traveled to many parts of the world and this is about the time that I spent in South Africa. I've never been in a nation where there were so many frightened white people and so many absolutely open-hearted and giving and friendly people of different races, especially black people in Soweto. And this poem was about how I spent so much of my time in a garden by a pool in Soweto behind a high fence. So much so that I had to request of an English schoolboy that he bring me back a pail of water from the Indian Ocean so that I might stick my foot in the Indian Ocean. I saw them walking in the morning, I saw them walking in the night. I was sitting in the garden by a pool in suburban Johannesburg when an English schoolboy from beyond the razor wire and broken glass wall came in through the locked after him gate bringing a white pail of brackish water dipped for me from the coastal waves of the Indian Ocean off the shores of South Africa 
where my great aunt Ida spent her final days, dying the year of my birth, 11 months before I was born. And he brought it there by way of one day round trip to Durban. And the lad was a young teen, an Anglo prig, full of racist talk, typical of his class. And though I cringed at the ugliness of that, I still I removed my right shoe and dipped my grateful Canadian toes into that briny charity, my ankles white as milk shine to the sock top. And I know he thought me a fool to feel the thrill where my open heart met the small circle of the wet circumference rising, a cool elixir of portable light liquefying my pale flesh with the tidal ablution of that faraway place, my ankle bone becoming moon-blessed, a polished stone, time deepened and dream-washed. Meanwhile, the narrow-templed English schoolboy went on and on as though he spoke with wise palaver of the worldly traveler. He yapped and yapped about the servile ingratitude of lazy cooks and feckless workers, all those arrive in the morning, leave after dark peons, who did not know their place, though they labored and were bird busy in his father's yard, in his mother's kitchen, toiling and lolling at the behest of the goodwill of their masters, living in this world he wears as flag and border, crest and crown. And I saw them walking in the morning, I saw them walking in the night, and I wonder at the failure of this young boy's shadow, gilded by an edge of darkness that fails to see the light. Being human, this is a poem about being in France and being in a house and being on the third floor of the house and uh, looking out at the heavens through a skylight in the roof and seeing, thinking about Charlemagne and those same heavens that were there when he was the emperor of France. Being human, I am reading Rumi reading Du Fu and thinking of being human. Last summer, Marty and I slept in the farmhouse loft under French heaven near Viteau, and we lay in our separate cots like boys at camp, laughing, talking silly, making fun of everyone. We were mostly ourselves, middle-aged men with the window open to starlight and the evening breath of the fields. Look up at the slant of, field, of ceiling, the slant of beam. This room was built for dreaming. And we were giddy lads with happy lives, not old do food. His sadness settled like shadows, like rivers, like cold stones of winter, and the bitter darkness of long nights, and the lonesome insomnia of small hours, like the mystical beauty of death and dying, and the inescapable anger of the soul our hearts refusing the silence with a lovely slowing exhalation as we each become more pensive in the loosening limbs of slumber, relaxing our hands like unfurled leaves and pressing our faces to linen. Meanwhile, the great rivers of the earth, the Tigris and Euphrates, the Yangtze, the Amazon of my father's last days, 
flow on. In what would I die, uh, buy from the famous floating markets of Bangkok? I would purchase the rains of remember. I would purchase the stars of recall. And what to preserve in a poem but the drenching of darkness with light. Climbing the Great Wall of China, self-explanatory. I was in China and I went on the Great Wall. My friend Ty and Kim are going to China. So I read this for them. They go in October. They will be on the Great Wall. If you've had an experience of going to the Great Wall, it's long. <laughs> my aunt, I said to, to my aunt, so aunt, aunt Emily, you were in China. Tell me about the Great Wall. And she said, it's long. <laughs> Climbing the Great Wall of China. I climbed the stairs to where the Great Wall breaks its spine along the gray-green ridge of smoke and fog above the Yangshan Mountains. And as I rise, I carry nothing more than a shadow's weight of daily cares. And as I glance, I am amazed to, and as I glance, I am amazed to see how worn away by walking are the stones beneath my feet, how smoothed as though by water over time and leather trod, eroded by the come and go of hordes of trekking solitudes. And as I touch a single shape of chiseled rock, I feel the slave's fardel, the spirit burden of a broken life, the fragment of empirical fear, the horse's heavy heartbeat on the warring earth, the blackened hoof that thunders in the steppe with arrows singing in the mind of troubled dreams. I pause and let a lucky tourist take a photograph. His friend leans smiling as she breathes to catch her breath, her bosom heaves. Alive, alive, and lets it go. I'm warm enough to wait a while. My quickening pulse is like my father at my morning door. It knocks to wake an answer from my over-weary bones. And if he's there or not, I rise and seek the purchase of a greater height than this. And I will finish with this poem, which is a love poem, uh, with the title, Darling May I Touch Your Pinkle Tink. <laughs> and uh, I read this as part of the mayor's challenge at the, and if you want to see a mayor blanch, use the word pinkle tink. Uh, a pinkle tink is actually a frog, uh, a species of frog. So this is a, a love poem from my wife, uh, and it's about walking uh, behind our house at the time, and as we walked along in the spring, the frogs would be making wild chorus in front of us and a wild chorus behind, and they always fell silent where we were passing, as if they knew our presence, no matter how quiet we were. So, darling, may I touch your pink tink? I'll be repeating that question on the way home. In those early years of marriage, when we walked the back lane, forming the long island of Meander, leading through the spring swale surrounding us behind the house where the thimbleberries ripened through the fence, pressing, pressing crushed areolas of small fruit brambled in the full bosom of the wet fields of Somerset. And as we strolled, we heard from both before and after the thrilled chorus of the swamp singing among the red branches of dogwood, piercing the stillness, both lace and leaf, like the life of the heart throbbing through the green mirror of algae, 
and something comes true, so eventual it might winter in us, like blush on the cheek coming in from the cold. And I am remembered of the quick black polywog pulsing in the jar in the dill-colored water we stole from the pond at school. And what it was, it also seemed. Flooding the world in verdant release after my son's epithalamium, watching a swan's breast advance through high park, its white reflection chasing feather form within the gentle chevron of a way's result that proof of going towards forever as it is with where the hand goes, plunging in to release the stopper in a warm bath for the soapy clock wine whirling to a lovely gurgle in the gullet of a thirsty drain. We were the ephemeral silence at the center of all that singing, and it mattered not how quietly we went. There was this secret knowledge, even of our shadow presence, even of the lucid darkness within the limpid veil of the least movement of the light. We were overheard by the gray caress of bullfrogs listening as though to be caught singing were a sin as the farm dog tip asleep in the cool dip of the earth in the forsythious shade of the veranda remains in the mind long after he's under the grass. And I'm crooning on the porch, full-voiced, and unembarrassed when my uncle said, what the hell are you doing? And I know it's not a question, but an accusation. Thank you. Thank you very much for the three of you. Thank you, John, for reading Don's poems. And in case um, some, anybody doesn't know who um, um, John B. Lee is, <laughs> um, thank you so much, John, for um, being the editor of the series. And we look forward to the next three, um, three books. Um, I haven't started the layout and design on uh, the next three, but um, keep yourself posted and, um, and send some poems to John for um, the fourth set. You, you might get rejected, but... And you just heard uh, John uh, B. Lee, uh, I should say from the John B. Lee Signature Series 2019 Spring Launch, uh, again held in Toronto on May 26th, uh, the guest reading by John B. Lee himself. And up next in it, uh, there was a short open mic uh, featuring April, April Bulmer, Tom Gannon-Hamilton, and Lawrence Hutchman. Let's go ahead and listen to that. We are going to do a, an open mic now, starting with April. Um, we were going to take a break right now, but um, we're running a little bit late. 
and I um, had mentioned to Eva while um, Lawrence was um, at the bar that um, we were going to twist your, your arm to see if you had a... He doesn't have any poems with him. We, you know, Lawrence, we wanted to hear your poems. Another time, do we have anybody else here for um, open mic? I, I'm not going to center out anybody, but um, we've got somebody um, after April. Come on up, April, and read us a couple of poems. And, um, and then... Um, so much yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's big and yellow we've got a copy of this poem because it was uh, published in okay good yeah. first we're going to hear from april thanks thank you i'd like to thank ty and, and john for publishing the book and also uh, the ontario arts council and arts connect cambridge for their generous funding so I thought I would just read the back blurb of the book. It's just short to give you a sense of what it's all Out of Darkness Light is a book of poetry written with the voices of fictional Cambridge, Ontario women who practice feminist worship by the Grand River. These poems of light are some of April Bulmer's best work. Wind, water, moon, sun, earth, and rain are all celebrated as spiritual inspirations for this new collection of poems. So I'd like to introduce you to my fictional congregation of women. The first poem is written from the perspective of a character named Elle, but the poem contains some details about my own birth. I was born in the month of May and I was born Caesarean. Elle. We celebrate on the new moon, pink cake and small flames in the month of May. I was drawn from your belly, born of a scar, birthmark under a thumb. But the earth opened her thighs and heaved a little weight, a shadow on the bed, stems and buds, roots new to faith. This is Ruth. My breasts heavy with light and the weight of rain, their tender red buds. The congregation of women are gowns of linen. We anoint our flesh with jars of salve, ointment, and rub. The fragrant scent of balm as we perspire beneath the sun. Up until recently, my friends and I would walk the labyrinth in Galt near where I live, uh, but it was mowed over recently, so we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, this is Dusty, and uh, she mentions the labyrinth and the summer solstice. Dusty, we wed on the summer solstice. The sun birthed light in the night, and so did you and I. Our shadows, too, walk the labyrinth. We were one in the center, for Mother Scarlet blessed our roots and blossoming sighs. Husband, I love you on the longest day and in the dim of winter. My heart, a bed of seeds, blooms in your beams. I will bear you the fruits of autumn, the ripening flesh of sons and daughters. 
And the last one I'll read um, is based on some notes I found on uh, Roman goddesses that I had written when I was at work one time. Uh, notes are written on company letterhead. It's called June, which is my mother's name. June. The sun, a golden coin as it was in Rome, when the goddess, her hair, sweet-smelling perfume, her garment of flax, hobnail shoes. She dusted her eyelids with saffron, with ochre she rouged. We offer her honey cakes, figs, and plums, the seeds of pomegranate and nightingale tongues, olives and dates, even the memory of slaves, and fish sauce we stir in jars of clay. Thank you. Thank you very much, April. There are still a couple of April's books up there. Tom, Gannon, Hamilton, come on up and read us some of your poems. This looks like a book, a chapbook of, um, that was published um, just last year, so That's I, right. hope, I hope that you get to read some. Okay, great. Hi, everyone. This is my favorite group of people here right now. Want to hear a really weird poem? Well, it's not a weird poem, but it's a weird thing that happened. I just came back from El Salvador to uh, to Toronto, and I had this experience. And, uh, it happened right on the TTC, so it's called Non-Consultant. I took the subway to Bay and Bloor, joining a lone briefcaser on the westbound ramp. In his periodic step across the caution line to probe the oracular tube, I saw, past the distinctions, his refinement, unknown business, and stress, to a vague affinity with one whose years approximated mine. For just a breath was that sister's confessing wind on a thistle hush. Then, puck, he sprawled and hugged the floor as a toddler would his mother, treating it as a shot fired by some unseen shooter, crawling on my belly, a body length toward the nimbus fanning out from his head Facing as it is, blood surprises whenever a seemingly cool crucible erupts molten iron more viscous than told by its rapidity, adhering to nostril and eye redolent as a bouquet of metal roses, it slicked my hand, which sought a pressure point while his ear spoke a fluid half-liter per second, fed by carotid or jugular, futile to staunch, it soaked the rolled-up globe tucked under. His convulsing was as one jars a near-empty condiment bottle, finished when paramedics blew in to brush me off and begin working on this man who by then recalled a herring left in a creel. Paler, more still than the station interior. Lifted, the stretcher guided in beneath him. He was gone. Custodians closed in, 
as though it were their family secret. But I wore the private massacre inside, out of there, fresh painted with intimate gore, non-consultant midwife to a burst aneurysm. Weird but true. Okay. I'm turning it back over. Thanks very much, Tom. Lawrence, bring up your poems for us. It seems that uh, Lawrence is our last uh, open mic reader, so um, thanks very much for... Um, Lawrence is so popular as a reader that even if he doesn't bring his poetry with him, somebody has poems. Come on up. great to hear the three poets today. John reading John Gatterick's poems. It's always an enlivening experience. Poetry, there's so many ways in which we are raised by poetry. John's description of a lake, his, his empathic rendering of it. So we see the lake in different ways. And so poems do for us Give us eyes to see different ways. It was great to hear my wife, Eva's reading of her first poems. I love these poems more each time I read them. Again, we are deepened, deepened by poems. Um, and the more we are open to them, the more we are deepened. That quality, that love of listening, that receptivity, that gathering in, that slow growing, the great feeling of growth that comes from reading good poets, excellent poets, great poets, sensitive poets. So it's always a pleasure, such a pleasure to partake in readings. Poetry can charge us so much just by a few, a few words. I'm going to read one poem, and it's called The Blue Canoe. I'd like to dedicate it to my friend Jerry Kemp, who passed away five years ago. Jerry was my daughter's English teacher, and I do credit to her French in class, met him. And we became good friends. We went golfing together, we skied together, and we canoed together. And I'd like to uh, dedicate this poem. Jerry was also a poet, and uh, still has a book of his that remains unpublished, which I'd like to see published. This is for Jerry Kemp, called Blue Canoe. It was difficult to get to the river. The road tracks were rough and moist after winter. When we finally canoe through the bog, I've never seen the water so high. The ordinary boundaries were gone. Under a giant, twisted trunk of the white pine, a pheasant 
I curl into a death fall, hurling from the storm and break his neck on the ice. Paddling through the forest among the bushes, we slowly start to feel the rhythm of a paddle in a current moving to the river with a slender illusion of virtues. They seem to be part of what is a phantom shape of a canoe held in the shadows, anchored like some forgotten image of a dream. On its wooden gunwale was the one still good paddle, the blue cord holding it. It being left there, abandoned in the flood of the forest, strange, like an owner tied to its absent owner. Thank you, Lawrence, for those uh, final, that final poem. I hope everybody is as enriched by today's experience listening to poems. Now go outside and find some sun. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you just heard uh, the open mic uh, that was held at the, in the, is the last segment in the spring 2019 launch of the John B. Lee Signature Series uh, launch uh, event that featured the open mic featured April Bulmer, uh, Tom Gannon Hamilton, and Lawrence Hutchman. And uh, I really have only got like a minute or so, so I can't really get into the specifics of any events. But what I will tell you is that the next big poetry sort of event uh, that's coming up will be a portion of the Skeleton Parks uh, Skeleton Park Arts Festival, which begins on June 19th and runs through the weekend. Uh, so. Uh, there will it will feature this year uh, to begin with uh, the opening evening and, and will be held in the Providence Care uh, I believe it's called Manor it's on Sydenham Street and it's right between Ordinance and uh, Bay and uh, there will be uh, the opening is a film about the poetry scene in Kingston and then there will be that weekend both a reading uh, with uh, Jason Haru, Kingston Paul there, laureate Jason Haru, uh, Sir Chiang, and uh, and also Olivia Aus. And then on Sunday, uh, for the first time, that's the third time we've uh, that 
there's been a poetry happening uh, in Hillside Park. Uh, first time will be on Sunday as Kingston Poet Laureate Jason Haru does a writing workshop. Uh, I'll talk more about it next week. Uh, what I would like to do is thank you for tuning in today. You have been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. Every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Stream live at www.cfrc.ca. And both hours of today's show will be shortly uploaded to my blog space for it and remain there for four years at Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. Please stay tuned for two hours of East Coast Music with Rob Carnell and a show called Saltwater Music right after these. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information, or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.